You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. How many times have I heard that I'm very good at overthinking or I'm an overthinker or I procrastinate about things that I think too much or I ruminate or I lie awake at four in the morning in a cold sweat thinking about things that I can do nothing about at four o'clock in the morning, cold sweat or not. Now, this is the stuff of ordinary everyday life. Now, you know as well as I do that we can live our ordinary everyday lives in an extraordinary fashion. The extra simply is that you turn up to your life by being present in the here and now, which stops all that thought in its tracks. Actually, let's tease that apart because it's actually simpler than that. We're burdened by thought. You know, the first thing that I always say to people who say any of the things to me that I've just mentioned about thinking or overthinking is, will you stop thinking about it, for starters? You're thinking about thinking? You know, it's like somebody a number of years ago rang me on a Sunday morning and said, I couldn't sleep last night. I was thinking and then I got stressed. I said, what are you thinking and what were you stressed about? He said, I'm stressed because I've nothing to stress about. I'm worried because I've nothing to worry about. The madness of it all. All of this thinking and overthinking is normal. You know from our previous conversations that we have 70,000 thoughts whizzing through our head every moment that we are awake every day. And that's obviously during the course of our waking day on the one hand, but these thoughts bubble to the surface for those who don't know how to look after their state of mind at two or three or four in the morning, the dark night of the soul, so to speak, that we talked about a few weeks ago. Oh, maybe I didn't talk about it here at all. Maybe I covered that in one of our online Zooms for program owners on a Wednesday evening, but that's neither here nor there. You know what I mean when I talk about the well-worn expression, the dark night of the soul. Three or four in the morning, I'm awake and I can't get asleep again. Now, as I said a minute ago, all of these things are symptoms. They're everyday symptoms of the way in which our normal mind operates. And as I said a moment ago, we only wake at four in the morning because we don't know how to manage our state of mind. Let's deal with that one before we go any further at all, because this is really simple. Many people, many people contact me and they say, I don't get a good night's sleep. Or then an awful lot of people with whom I work one-to-one, when I ask them, do they have a good night's sleep? It emerges that they're not getting their mandatory seven to eight hours. Now, you'll read a lot of research and a lot of pseudoscience and a lot of nonsense about whether the seven or eight hours is the right amount or the wrong amount. Forget everything that you will read in the newspapers, because I did see something recently saying that you can get by on less than seven hours sleep a night. And that may well be that you can get by on seven hours sleep a night. 
But let me rephrase that in the way in which we normally talk about things in this podcast. You can survive on less than seven hours sleep a night. But we're not talking about survival when we get together in these podcast episodes. Sure we're not. You, you know from our previous conversations that the normal mind is designed for survival. It's designed to not achieve any of your dearly held goals and ambitions and dreams. It's designed to not allow you change anything about your life. Your normal crazy mind is designed to keep you in the box that isn't there. Your normal crazy mind, as we said, is only designed for survival. So if you can get by on less than seven hours sleep a night, we're talking about survival. We're not talking about living your life to the full. And in particular, when it comes to an adequate night's sleep, we actually need to talk about your long-term mental health. I've long been of the opinion, and I often wondered why there was no research in relation to it, but I've long been of the opinion that not getting a good night's sleep leads to Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, and I'm only talking about my observations over the years, for example, in relation to people like Ronald Reagan, Harold Wilson, Margaret Thatcher. A lot of people who boasted about not needing more than three or four hours sleep a night. Those people all suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's in their later life. And you might say to yourself, well, hold on, that, that's a leap from not getting a good night's sleep to having Alzheimer's. But research has shown over the last 10 years that one night's interrupted sleep gives rise to the buildup of proteins on the synapses in the brain that are implicated in the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's one night's disrupted sleep. What happens when we sleep? Well, the first thing that happens is that it's our thinking mind that goes asleep. Now, if we're not in the habit of managing our state of mind, our thinking mind will often wake us up at three or four in the morning. That's when we have this dark night of the soul. But that's only because you don't know what you're doing when it comes to managing your state of mind, or you're half doing it. I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. But if you get a good night's sleep, what actually happens during deep sleep is that the neural pathways in the brain, they're like electric cables. And we know that from previous discussions in relation to neural plasticity and how the brain re rewires itself once you begin to meditate. The neural pathways in the brain are like electric cables. And what happens when we go into deep sleep is that the electric cables shrink in diameter, allowing the brain's fluid flow freely through the brain and cleanse the dirt left over from the thinking that went on during the day just ended. Because during the day just ended, it's inevitable that because our thoughts are transmitted from one neuron to another by leaping over a little synapse, a gap between two neurons, it's inevitable that some of the neurotransmitters, which are chemicals, will miss their target during the course of a normal day's thinking. And what that means is that the neurotransmitter, the chemical, 
lands on the surface of the synapse but misses the receptor. And that stuff builds up on the synapses. One night's bad sleep leaves that build up there. Two nights bad sleep. Now you have two nights build up. Now, I was explaining this to a group of people a couple of years ago, a face-to-face -face group. This is before lockdown, when I used to do group sessions live face-to-face. And we had started this conversation as a result of somebody in the group telling me that she woke up shouting and screaming basically at four o'clock in the morning. It was a little bit like the comment in a press conference of General Colin Powell during the Iraq war. Don't know whether it was the first or the second Iraq war and it doesn't really matter. The president at the time, and I think it was probably George W. Bush, said that he was sleeping like a baby through all the mayhem that he was causing. And a couple of journalists in the room asked General Colin Powell how he was sleeping. And he said, I'm sleeping like a baby. I wake up screaming every half hour. Sorry, that's an aside, but it does go back to the point that this lady made during the group discussion that we were having a number of years ago. She said, I wake up screaming at three or four in the morning, sometimes literally, but often I'm just lying there in a pool of perspiration and I can't still my mind for worry and anxiety. And that's how we got onto the conversation about what even one night's bad sleep like that will do to the synapses and the dirt in your brain. So I was explaining this to that group and this lady said to me, I'm never going to be able to get a good night's sleep now. You've given me something else to worry about. And, and this is actually life-threatening stuff. But bear with me, bear with me. As I said, when we go into deep sleep, the neural pathways in the brain, or to be precise, the axon part of each neuron shrinks in diameter. And that allows the fluid in the brain clean out the detritus from the day just ended. And whilst the research shows that one bad night's sleep is implicated in the build up of these proteins on the synapses in the brain, you could have 10 bad night's sleep and one good night's sleep will wash it all away. But if you are regularly not getting a good night's sleep, seven to eight hours, then you are compromising your long-term mental health. That's simply at this stage, a statement of scientific fact, thanks to Stanford University confirming what I had a hunch about when I was thinking about the Reagans and the Thatchers of this world. It has now been established as a scientific fact. You need to get a good night's sleep to wash away the dirt that will otherwise build up and cloud your mind in a whole different way to the way in which we have been talking about how our minds get clouded as a result of ordinary everyday thought during our waking hours. This is a long-term mental health issue. Now, of course, it won't be an issue if you're looking after your state of mind properly. So bear with me as we unpick this. Now, before we go any further, I need to clarify what I mean by seven or eight hours sleep. I don't mean seven or eight hours completely uninterrupted sleep. Some men of my age, I don't have the problem at all myself, but some men of my age tell me that they have to get up two or three times a night to do what nature intended during the course of the night. And they worry about not getting the requisite amount of deep sleep. Now, of course, the fact that they would be worried about it means that they probably won't. But as we said a minute ago, that's almost beside the point. It's just overthinking. It's the way in which the normal mind works, the normal mind that hasn't been properly cultivated in relation to its state of mind. 
mind. But before the Industrial Revolution, humans, being animals, slept like a lot of animals, according to the circadian rhythms in the brain and in the body, and they slept in two tranches. There was first sleep and second sleep. And the gap between first and second sleep was largely used to do kind of household chores or get up and have a cup of tea or a glass of mead or whatever they drank in those days or to chat or go and visit neighbours or to make love. That's neither here nor there and that's none of your business nor mine. But there were two distinct parts to the full night's sleep, first sleep and second sleep. It's only the Industrial Revolution that forced people into a regime whereby they had to get up at an unnatural hour I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute, and work in the factories, in the satanic mills, from early in the morning till late in the evening. And then they had to compress their sleep according to the demands of the industrial barons of the time. Nothing much has changed, sure it hasn't. When you think about, in particular, the people with whom I work in the corporate world, the industrial barons were nice guys by comparison to some of the people who boss around some of the people with whom I work. But that's, that's an aside. The reason I bring that up is that people sometimes get concerned that they're not getting seven or eight hours unbroken sleep. That doesn't matter. What matters is you get your seven or eight hours sleep. It doesn't matter whether it's broken once or twice during the course of the night. Now, of course, if it's broken at four in the morning and you can't get asleep again as a result of your mind racing, that's a different thing. And that's what I want to address, amongst other things, in this particular episode. As I said a minute ago, you need to cultivate the right state of mind. And obviously that starts with meditating first thing in the morning. It continues with mini-meditating during the course of the day. We talked about that before. And I'll come back to another aspect of that in a couple of minutes. But being in the right state of mind also requires that you do a little bit of housekeeping before you go to bed at night, but only if you're prone to waking up in a sweat at three or four in the morning. Only if you are concerned by your mind racing and not being able to get back asleep. If you're already getting a good night's sleep along the lines that we've just discussed, skip the next little bit. That said, most people, perhaps everybody, that regularly gets good night's sleep would from time to time have a disrupted night's sleep or two. And it's a slippery slope. It's like the goldfish thoughts that we talked about in a couple of episodes recently. It's about the positive, shiny, nice thought that precedes the gang or the shoal of piranhas that'll savage you. So it's a slippery slope. But I have an exercise for you. And if you want to explore this in more detail, I have a video on YouTube. If you just go into YouTube and search for No More Sleepless Nights, Willie Horton. You'll find me there. Now, somebody said to me recently, was I using Grecian 2000? That's a hair colorant in the video in question. But the video is quite old at this stage and my hair was a slightly different color. That's neither here nor there. That's just part of the general process of aging that I can only arrest in certain respects. I can arrest, by the way, the aging process in my neural pathways. That's another conversation that we need to have. And maybe I've touched on it before. But 
you know, can't really slow down the color of my hair or the wrinkles, but that's neither here nor there. Sorry. No more sleepless nights explains in more detail the exercise known as recapitulation. Not to hell with it. We'll actually explore it here now because it's important. If you're one of these people that wants to get the maximum out of a good night's sleep, then before you get into bed at night, and pretty close to before you get into bed at night, you sit down in a straight back chair. You don't do this lying down. You don't do this slouched. You don't do this lying on your bed. You do this sitting up straight in the same way as we sit up straight when we do our meditations. Now, this is going to sound a little counterintuitive given that most of what we talk about in this podcast is devoted to living in the present moment. This is devoted to reviewing the day that is coming to an end as you sit in your straight back chair just before you get into bed for your good night's sleep. I didn't say reliving the day, I said reviewing the day. So I want to explain this so that you get it right. Effectively, all it is, is mental housekeeping before you go asleep at night. Because if you don't do this mental housekeeping before you go asleep at night, your brain is going to have to do the day's filing, so to speak, after you fall asleep. Let me explain that for just a moment. Despite the fact that we have millions of kilometers of neural pathways in the brain and billions of neural connections, our brain is a limited capacity processor. And that means that a lot of what we see, feel, hear, smell and taste during the course of the day remains unprocessed when we fall asleep at night. In fact, most of it. And what that means is that the subconscious mind will literally do the filing before we go into deep sleep. So in the early part of sleep, our, our minds will put away all the unprocessed stuff in as much as they can. And that accounts for the fact that very often in lighter phases of sleep, we will dream dreams that are directly related to the day that has just ended. Stuff that we actually encountered during the course of the day. That's just the mind doing the filing. But if you do the exercise of recapitulation, before you get into bed at night, sitting up straight in your straight back chair with your feet firmly on the floor, then you're going to allow the subconscious mind do the day's processing, finish the day's processing before you get into bed. You'll go asleep quicker, you'll go into deep sleep quicker, and you are far less likely to encounter any sleep interruption as a result of a racing mind. So the exercise is you sit down, you close your eyes. You imagine a television screen or a video monitor in front of you in your mind's eye with your eyes closed. And you take up the imaginary remote control in your hand and you click play. And what you watch is a video of yourself it could be a fast motion video of yourself. You know the way it could be a jumpy video of yourself. You know the way security cameras in petrol stations, for example, video people. It's a video of everything that you've done during the course of the day, viewed as a mildly interested, casual observer. In other words, you're not reliving the day out through your own eyes. You're not, as a psychologist would say, you're not reliving the day in an associated fashion. You are reviewing the day in a disassociated fashion. 
you're viewing it as a mildly interested, casual observing third party. You go through your day. It doesn't even have to be an exact chronological order. People have actually got stressed out doing this exercise and ask me, does it need to be detailed? Does it need to be in chronological order? It'll be whatever it is as a result of you sitting, replaying the day as a third party without sound, without any judgment. You're just an observer without hitting the pause button at any point along the way and saying to yourself, oh, damn it, I wish I hadn't said that or I could have done this differently or why did I do that? That's all judgment. That's all thought. And we know where that leads. Very slippery slope indeed. They are big, bad thoughts that take you down a dark alley and you beat yourself up. So you don't judge at all. You don't think at all. You simply observe. In such a disinterested fashion that, for example, it might be similar to you having a drink in a bar with your friends and Sky Sports is on a big screen in the background and you know it's on and you're watching out of the corner of your eye, but you're not really interested in what's going on and you're certainly not going to get involved in what's going on. In other words, you are just reviewing your day. And as that film on the imaginary television screen or video monitor wends its way towards the point where you have sat down on your chair to do this exercise, you just pick up that imaginary remote control and click stop. That's it. That's done. That is the exercise called recapitulation. Now, I recollect a number of years ago, sitting around in a group of about 14 people, they were old stagers, clients that I'd worked with for years. And we got together once a year, every September in Dublin. And we were sitting there in a golf club and we were talking about the progress that we'd made since the previous time we were together or the insights that we had or the aha moments that we had had. And one of the girls in the group said, one of the key things that changed my life over the course of the last 12 months since we were together the last time is that any night that before I get into bed, I recapitulate, I get a wonderful night's sleep. And on the nights when I don't, my sleep is disrupted. And the other 13 people kind of looked at her, actually probably as if she had two heads, and said to her, why don't you recapitulate any night or every night? Now, if you recapitulate every night, the effect of it is going to dull. It's going to wear off. I just know that from personal experience, and I know that from the experience of anybody and everybody with whom I have worked who practices this exercise. You do it from time to time. So it's not like meditation. You don't do it religiously every night. Indeed, you don't meditate religiously either. <laughs> religiously is a bad thing. That's another, that's a whole other discussion. You recapitulate when the feeling takes you, when it feels right. Now does that phrase sound familiar when the feeling takes you? Because ultimately, when we do cultivate the right state of mind, we're always in the zone when the feeling is taking us forward. When the feeling is enabling us, listen to our gut instinct, understand what is going on free of thought, free of judgment, and know, simply know what we have to do in the present moment that will take us forward towards the life that we would love to live. We know, however, from the start of 
this episode's conversation and indeed the conversation that we had last week, that in the absence of anybody else annoying us, we're very good at annoying ourselves. In the absence of anybody else distracting us, the normal crazy mind is an adept at distracting its owner. And we know that there are things in our everyday life and people that we encounter in our everyday life that trigger these overthinkings, that trigger these thoughts, that trigger these reactions, that send us off down the road of thinking, of overthinking, of procrastinating, of putting off what we know, we just know, because it feels right, we need to do. If you are being triggered, I rephrase that. We're all burdened with the normal crazy mind. We're all on a journey towards something else. So it isn't if you are triggered. It is when you are triggered. Because inevitably you will be triggered on a decreasing scale, granted, as you become more and more immersed in the flow of everyday life, of, of real everyday life. But you will be triggered. So when you are triggered, you need to, as a friend of mine in the States says, deploy countermeasures. You need to have counter triggers at the ready. I mentioned about halfway through this episode that our cultivating the right state of mind starts with meditation and continues during the day with mini meditation. The little triggers you decide upon to bring yourself back to the here and now when you find yourself being triggered or on the verge of being triggered, they in themselves are mini meditations too. And as we know from previous conversations, anything can be a mini meditation. Sipping a glass of water to sip a glass of water. Taking a breath to simply notice how it feels to take the breath rubbing your hand along the top of the table at which you're sitting to get in touch with reality. It's a quote from an online program owner. We need to do all in our power to get to the point where when we do start going down the blind alley of thought, we can simply stop ourselves. Not stop the thoughts in their tracks because the thoughts are nothings. As we've said recently, the thoughts are like little white fluffy clouds flitting across the clear blue sky of flow in the reality, in the moment that is your life. They're nothings. So when we cultivate our state of mind through, be it recapitulation, morning meditation, mini meditation or making up our own little mini meditations by way of little counter triggers. What we are doing is starving those little clouds of our attention. And a thought starved of our attention is a nothing. But it's even easier than that because it isn't that we are going to any lengths to starve the thought. We're not starving anything. It is through doing the housekeeping late in the evening, getting ourselves in the right state of mind first thing in the morning, reminding ourselves, and I mean re-minding ourselves during the course of the day through our little exercises during the course of the day. It is through that that we become increasingly immersed in the reality of the moment because that 
is that to which we are giving all of our attention. So there's no violence involved in starving our thoughts of our attention. Our thoughts are simply starved of our attention as a byproduct of our developing our ability to give all of our attention to the wonder, the magic, the opportunity, and the synchronicity of the here and now. Wonderful stuff. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.